Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another segment of the Cisco and South Zone Hour on Broadcasted Politics on Blog Talk Radio. How are you, Mark? What's going on? I am. What's the rant of the week? I am fine. What's the rant of the week? Oh, the rant of the week is uh, we're very happy about the outcome in Virginia, Long Island, the Senate seat. I mean, excuse me, the congressional Buffalo, seat. Buffalo, in Texas. Buffalo, Buffalo, bu- Buffalo, New York. Oh, that also. too. No, there was one in uh, a, a very Hispanic district in Texas yeah. that went for the Republican. Yes. And also, yes. did you hear that stat? Uh, I mean, because you're Hispanic. Hello. Did you hear that stat that uh, uh, Hispanics went 9% more for Yunkin than they did for McAuliffe? So, you know, what's funny is the Democrats are allowing all these people to pour in predominantly of Hispanic uh, ethnic and background, and they're coming well, in and it's on the vote Republican. So expect the wall to be finished by uh, next Thursday now. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. There's there's a lot more Haitians coming in into uh, in, onto the border, so it's not it's not it's not just uh, Hispanics. Uh, you got you got people from Russia, from Iran. I mean, everyone is on the border. They want to come oh, in. Yeah, I, I saw that over a hundred yeah. countries. I know, oh, but anyway, uh, yeah. So this. Quite a few things that I, I wanted to touch on since um, that was your rent of the week. Uh, no, no, I just wanted to I, say next week, next week I'll finally be out of Facebook jail again. It'll be 90 of 98 days. Uh, I'll be, you know, and they put me in jail for bullying, and they, they bully me. They're like the classic bully. They're reprehensible, little, semi-masculine third world, ill-educated monkeys, for God's sake. And no offense <laughs> to monkeys. I'm sorry, monkeys, to <laughs> equate these uh, humans with you. Anyway, that's it, folks. Well, I, I'll tell you, I have a couple things before we bring our guest, who's going to be Reverend Rick Cole. He's a senior pastor at the Capitol Christian Center in Sacramento, California. He's the author of the book, Incarnate Jesus Among the Broken. Uh, when I was given his name as one of the individuals that I should look at, I was very impressed with the work that he's done with homeless, the homeless in California. And uh, I think we have, we have such a, a huge issue with homelessness all over the country, all over the world. I, would, I, I, I thought about bringing someone who out to the program that we have not had uh, that is dedicated to doing something about the homelessness in, in, in California and, and around the country. So anyway, uh, my rant of the week is this whole thing with, with jabbing five to 12 year olds. And then we have the despicable, outrageously insane mayor of New York City, Mr. de Blasio, 
offering $100 to the kids so they can get jabbed. How disgusting is that? What have we come to? A public official bribing kids, 5 to 12, giving them $100. But karma is so powerful, his mandate has really, really stirred up the pot in New York City. The sanitation department, folks, went to Gracie Mansion, that's like the White House of the mayor in New York City, and dumped garbage onto Gracie Mansion. And I've been there. It's a beautiful place. Uh, but that's what he deserves, garbage. Because Really? You, you know, a uh, horrible I want to say a few being. years ago, a few years ago, the police were demonstrating outside Gracie Mansion when their contract was up, and the, the police yeah. were all chanting, I smell weed, I smell weed. <laughs> well, put it this way, he got payback. Let's call Mr. Cole and, and, uh, and see what's up. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Welcome to the Cisco and Falcone Hours on Broadcast and Politics. We are delighted to have you on the program. Well, it's an honor to be with you for sure. Definitely, definitely. Well, one of the things that really struck me uh, was the amount of work that you have been doing in Sacramento and throughout California. And uh, I think uh, one of the things that impressed me right away is the amount of work and dedication that you have really done. I mean, living two weeks in the streets of, of Sacramento. Now, I've been, I've been to Sacramento, and yeah. that, that area near the governor's mansion, yeah. I, tell, I tell people there's a strip. I drove by it, and it was like <laughs> the number of people. That, it's like 10 cities. Right, yeah. And I was uh, like, I can't believe Gover uh, Governor Newsom uh, is allowing all these tents, uh, all these streets that run near the governor's mansion, run down by num uh, a great majority of the homeless people. Yeah, man, it's a growing problem still in not only Sacramento but other major cities across California and and around the country. So it's something that's kind of gripping us right now you know, in, in a way that is greatly concerning. Yes. And, and you know, one of the things that I, I, on my uh, research of your, um, what you've been doing is that winter sanctuary for the mm -hmm. homeless during the winter months, uh, that you provided dinner and lodging for over 100 persons each night with the help mm -hmm. of uh, about 30 other churches in 2014. And, and you spent two weeks in the streets of Sacramento. And that's not a <laughs> – I'm familiar with the area. That's not a safe yeah. area. You, you're a very brave man. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, one provision that I did have, uh, I was by myself for those two weeks, except at night. I had two or three men that are friends of mine who joined me in the night as we slept on the street. 
I mm-hmm. wanted to make sure I didn't do something just foolishly put myself in, in kind of jeopardy. So just having a couple other guys with me made me feel safe. And uh, so that was helpful. Then they'd go back to work in the morning and I would navigate, you know, the daytimes on my own. So that was definitely, you know, one thing that I did, uh, I did have with me in the night seasons. But it still feels really sketchy and, you know, you, you don't get good sleep. Um, you feel the wear and tear of sleeping on concrete and having people wake you up, you know, people walking by asking if you got, had people stop say, Hey, you got any pot? Like it startles you, you know, your heart starts beating fast and, um, not sure what's happening. So there's interesting moments, but when the sun comes up in the morning, you feel like, Oh man, the, the light of day helps. And, uh, when you talk about darkness, you know, there's something about that. When it gets dark, it feels dark. And then right. when the when the light comes on, you start feeling better. And it can get really chilly in Sacramento yeah. and windy and windy and it starts to snow. Uh, what, what, what was the most striking experience besides the darkness in, in your spending those two weeks surrounded by individuals that may have mental issues, other individuals that are basically not mentally stable, but may, were there for economic reasons. Right. What, what striking difference between the number of homeless individuals that you encounter? Well, there are several things that I think I learned in the process. I didn't expect to learn the things that I did going into it. I actually just wanted to see what is this like? Where do people go if they're homeless? Where do you go to get food? Where do you sleep at night? What does it feel like? As we were trying to raise some funding, actually, for that Witcher Sanctuary program, yes. um, and that was really the purpose. If, if we drew attention to this, people could help donate so that we could keep this program going. And so I had a cause in mind. What I didn't anticipate was how my heart started being impacted by the experience. So like before it, I would see homeless people and think, why don't they get a job? You know, they've kind of got themselves in this situation. You just try a little harder, get themselves out of it. They're living off my taxes. And I think these are typical things that we think and sometimes talk about among ourselves. And I, I didn't really try to put myself in their shoes. So I think this is what the message of the book is about and uh, mm-hmm. relating my experience was I got into their shoes in a different way and I started seeing the value of who these people are, that they're not just objects to get out of my way, but they actually have a soul and a spirit. And they've had, they've had hope kind of beaten out of them over time. Sure, some of it's their own choosing and doing, but now th- there's so much that they've lost, they don't have something inside of them to do what I think they should do. So now I'm seeing, like, these people actually matter, and that was a transformation that, for me, I didn't expect. Uh, they're certainly mentally ill. They're harder to help. They really need institutional help. There's a drug addiction and alcohol addiction behaviors that, Sometimes people, you need to find a a rehab opportunity and they're a little closer to getting out of their dilemma if they can get free of the addictive behaviors. 
And then there's some people that just they're close to the margin, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And then with a job loss, right. they didn't have family around them to help support them. There's some people that are just more temporary on the street, probably a, a little easier to get from point A to point B. So there's definitely layers like that that I saw. Uh, the thing that impacted me the most was I actually now see them different. Even now that I'm away from that experience, I, I don't feel like I can help everybody. That's really not even the the point of it, but I can care for them. And I began to see people not as in my way, but as somebody that's hurting and broken. And at least I think if I care for them, one person at a time, we might be able to start turning the tide on this huge problem that's in front of us. So that's, you know, I think kind of the core message for me was how can we maybe change our view of who these people are? It might change our ability to find, find ways to build some structure where we can help them to recover. Right. Now, that 10 cities in Sacramento, they're not that yeah. far away from the, the state capital. No, exactly. No, and, yeah, I mean, not, not that far from what I remember. Yeah, and, right. And I just don't see how a lot of these politicians in, in California and in other parts of, uh, of, of America, how they do not, I mean, they, they pour money into it because I, I, yeah. I, some statistics that I have here, L.A. County alone, mm. Fifty-eight thousand, uh, fifty-eight thousand nine hundred thirty-two people were homeless in twenty nineteen. Yeah. Despite exactly. the legi- despite the legislator adding five hundred thirty-eight thousand two hundred fifty-one dollars to the annual budget to address mm-hmm. housing and homeless. Mm-hmm. So the money is coming in, still not seeing the end result of yeah. taking these individuals and providing them with a new form of, uh, of lifestyle, even though the financial part of it is coming in. So where is the problem? Where, where are we? Where is There's a disconnect there. Money coming yeah. in, but yeah. we're still seeing more people. Right. And I think you're pinpointing it quite well. The money isn't the problem solver. We think, you know, if those people – we pay for something for them to have a place to stay, but they don't have the wherewithal to be able to to sustain it. So I think here's my picture of what I think is missing. The money is necessary, and actually our, our politicians, our government, our leaders, they have the resources that you know been built up. Now there's nonprofits and people who have a heart to help other people, that I think we need to find a bridge between the funding that's available through the the government work and the heart that's available through some of the nonprofit work. So here's an example. On our property where our church is, we have about a four-acre parcel that's not developed yet. We have a 63-acre campus here with a private school and a lot of things that we do. But there's a four-acre piece that's empty and vacant, We're in a conversation right now with our county leaders. Could we do a partnership and build a, uh, like a tiny home village for the homeless on this four-acre piece of property? What if we started with like 50 
Mm-hmm. And they actually, they have the money. We're in this conversation, they've told me, we actually have the resource to make that happen. And I'm saying we have the people that will come alongside and volunteer. Uh, there's people here that will do some job training. They will come along and, and walk with the individuals that come into a tiny home and help them take one step at a time until they can get self-sufficient and actually get out of this property into a more permanent shelter and then we can, if we are successful with 50, we can add, we have room for probably 150 tiny homes. And I think it's if the money is matched with other people, people who are going to walk with that soul, they, they need a partner. They can't do it on their own. The money won't get them where they need to go. It's the money that's needed along with a partner that says, let me walk with you. And it's not going to be perfect. Uh, we're not going to help them all, but we can help one at a time and 10 and 20 and 50 and see where we go with it. In my perspective, we need to find a bridge between the, the government and the politicians and nonprofits. There's a lot of them that have a heart to come alongside and do the work, but we're not working together. So we, we need to find a bridge to find out how to work together. We're finding goodwill here in our community, like, our county leaders are open to this partnership, and mm-hmm. we're hopeful to take the next step and see it become a reality. Definitely. Uh, 254-654, do you have a question or a comment for Reverend yeah. Rick Cole? Yes, yes, yes. No, not no, yet. The thing is, that hope. Uh, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. 254-2331. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Uh, Here's the comment. Homelessness is not going to be cured anytime soon because government doesn't care. Since government has all the money and they're um, run by politicians who are run by lobbyists who are making profit off of of homelessness, it's not going to be cured. It doesn't matter how much money is poured into the project. Money's been poured into the war on poverty, the war on drugs. We have more poor people today than I think than when the war on poverty started. I think we have a drug problem, which is more of an epidemic today than it started, than when the money started coming in at that particular time. So that's the quick answer. So, yes, you need a heart, but if you're going to rely on government, you're not going to get it done, period. Good comment. Um, Uh, uh, Reverend? Yeah, I, yep. I think that's a – I agree with that comment. The government isn't going to solve this problem. I think that's really you know, what leads to my thought is that can't we find a way to work together? It, we have such a – it seems like a separation. Everything seems so divided politically and you know economically and such. It still seems like we could find partnerships between the government and politicians and finances and nonprofits and people, you know, in our community. So say, uh, let's work together. I have still a hope that that might be possible. The government won't solve this on their own. Absolutely. That commenter was spot on. My belief is that, hey, we're here. We're, we're saying that we, we volunteer. Let's work together. 
provide the finance, provide the backing behind it. We'll provide the volunteerism and the expertise. We've got people that this is their work. They mm-hmm. work with broken people. And yeah. uh, we, we have some you know, paths I think we can, we can build to make a difference. Uh, let's plug in your book uh, and, and your website. Uh, your, your new book, because you've written quite a few books, uh, but your latest book. Yeah. It's called Incarnate, Jesus Among the Broken. And it, it really just to take off on when Jesus came here to this earth, he, he came and got into my skin. He became human. And that's the word incarnate. You, you put yourself in someone else's shoes. And he did that to help me. He didn't push me away and say, hey, you've got a problem. Why don't you fix it? He said, I'm going to come here and I'm going to help you. I want to take your challenge on myself and give you hope for a better life. So that to me is just the, that's the core message of the book, Incarnate Jesus Among the Broken. What can I do to try to follow his model? And how can I reach out to people that are broken in my community be learn what is happening in their life, come alongside and see maybe I can lift a little of that burden from them too, and together we can find a path of progress. Right. So we we are considered to be the richest country in the world. Yeah. And every city, every major city in the United States has a homeless problem. True. It's, is that something that a lot of people, especially in, in government and, and in, in business, just basically, like you said in, uh, previously, they say, well, that's not my problem, and they, move, they look away? Is that, is that another, another reason why we are in the situation we are in today? Yeah, it's hard for me to speak for others and, and what they do and what they see. We're making observations that seems like that's what happens. At the same time, I think you've communicated here as well that they're pouring money into it. So they're recognizing the problem and they've got a lot of money to throw at it, but it's not changing the circumstances. So you know, it's. I don't think they're completely looking away. Some people are looking at it, but they're not finding what the core problem is. It's not only a money problem. It's a heart problem. It's a, it's a human problem that we need to find how to help people that are broken in their soul, the things that have caused them to lose their hope, and try to come alongside and see if we can not just give them a, a handout. Handouts aren't going to help. A hand up, if I could say, hey, let me walk with you, not just give you money. Let me you know, find out what you need beyond that to heal the brokenness inside. How can we rebuild the possibility that you can find hope, find the strength to get up and get a job? So it's still, it's a combination. It's not going to be one thing. Um, We got to find some partnerships. Well, I'm going to give you during this whole previous to uh, preview to your uh, interview, I did a little research on homelessness around the world. Yeah, Finland is one of the countries in the European Union where homelessness has been going, has been declining, mm. and people are saying that's a miracle. How yeah. how how is that happening? Well, they have a housing first policy. They're building homes 
exactly what you had mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And homeless in Finland results from both systematic and social issues. Poverty, unemployment, rising rent, domestic violence, legal mm-hmm. problems, drug abuse, mental and physical illness are all significant factors in the homeless uh, situation in Finland. So I think we can learn something from the country of Finland. I love that. I think we should. Like, that's exactly, you're you're spot on uh, doing that kind of research. And our leaders should look to them as a model. Where there there are models that are working, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't we want that and say, what are you doing? Let's see if we can... We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like, uh, what can we learn and implement here in our country that someone else has done that is making a difference? I, I love that. You, you, you've got a word and you know a picture, a vision of that that needs to spread. Like, I, I agree 100%. That's a great point of view. Thank you. Thank you. I yeah. try to I, I try to prepare myself for when I interview experts. In the, in the in the field, that's awesome. No, you're in a, you're, you're an expert. You're an expert on, on this. What what is the um, parts of California, uh, Northern California, the Valley, Central Valley, California, or, or Southern California? Which area of California do you see as being the most challenging part of homelessness in 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 in, in uh, California? Yeah. Well, I think the the largest number is you stated earlier as well in Los Angeles. Yes, they ha- have an area downtown LA. It's actually spread. It's actually spread to some of the beaches where you know yeah. in the last year during this pandemic, suddenly the tourism is affected because tents are showing up on sidewalks along Venice Beach, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the, so that Southern Cal. Probably because of the climate in Southern Cal, you know, there's a, you're more able to live outside in the elements there than other parts of California. It stays year-round more mild. So that's probably an area that people flock to because of the climate. Um, there's still, you know, pockets. Like we have a growing problem in Sacramento. We, they're mm-hmm. estimating it. We were around three or 4,000 homeless. Now it's up to five to 7,000. It's growing. Um, San Francisco is really blighted right now mm-hmm. with uh, just a lot of street um, tents and homeless issues there that's greatly concerning. So I think L.A. is still probably the largest. It's probably the biggest area, landmass, and the best climate. But any of the major cities have their own you know, growing, growing issues with that. Well, we just saw in New York City the uh, one of a homeless man push a nurse on the train, mm. uh, and that and that's uh, that's been growing. Uh, Mark, do you have a question for for, for Reverend uh, Re- Reverend Rick Cole? Yes, uh, I'm interested in how he spent. Uh, he said he spent time on the streets overnight uh, because uh, yeah. back in the day. I used to run those streets in New York City before Giuliani, and when it came, I mean, as bad as the city was during the day, the nighttime, it was a completely different world. 
uh, very violent. Uh, did you find that in in your uh, exercise, Reverend? Yeah. What I found, Sacramento probably doesn't have that level of, of violence as some of the other major cities. And I think what I found, too, is the homeless population, they congregate near one another and form a bit of a protective community among themselves. There's still some dangers and things, but it isn't a wild, uh, out-of-control violence. So we actually just went walking. I went walking downtown trying to find a place to sleep. found an alley that um, had a fence that I could kind of slip behind that seemed semi-protected. And it, in that alley, people were up and down it all night long. It, it would startle me, keep me awake. Um, and if that wasn't available one night, you know, I'd find another place down by the river. Actually, our mayor was the one who got me interested and in, in, involved in helping the homeless. He was trying to help this problem. Kevin Johnson, he grew up in Sacramento. Yeah. He played basketball for yeah. uh, Phoenix mm-hmm. Suns. Yeah, he was yeah. a great player. Sacramento is home. He grew up here. He came back after his career and became the mayor of our city. And somehow we made a connection. He had kind of a faith background and so he was the mayor when he invited me in to help with this winter shelter program. And one of the nights of those two weeks, he came out with me, and we found a spot on the bank of the river. We, we've got a river that runs right through downtown. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a lot of homeless people that camp out on the banks of the river at night. And um, he stayed with me one night and just volunteered to share that experience with me. We had amazing conversations about the concern for the people of our community. And uh, I respected him for doing that. So we found different places where homeless people shelter, and they tend to gather where it's almost like a, a community within the community. And there, there wasn't as much blatant violence. I didn't find myself really feeling in, in great jeopardy. The other reason that I had a couple of guys with me it probably helped me not to feel, you know, terribly in danger. I, I really wouldn't want to do it completely by myself at night. So, um, you know, that, that helped just to calm my nerves, making sure that there was somebody that I trusted that was, you know, next to me. Now, uh, did you, were you, so you were there 24, 24-7 for two weeks. Right. So okay. that, just the way it started, like from where our church is, we write, on uh, adjacent to a major freeway, Highway 50. So on a Sunday, I talked in our church service and then came through my office, laid down my wallet and my keys, picked up a backpack and a sleeping bag. There's a light rail right across the street. I got on the light rail and rode it downtown and then just started walking. It take, takes me right down to the center square. Cesar Chavez Park is right next to City Hall. There's a lot of homeless people that gather there. And oh, I just yeah. started sitting with homeless people to hear their story. I started asking questions and finding out where do you go for food. And uh, Loaves and Fishes is a Catholic organization that provides food every day. I'd walk there and, and you know get in line for the food. Just try to experience how, how things roll. And so every day, you know, now I wasn't doing my day job. I didn't have a calendar. It was just how do I survive from morning till night, and when the sun comes up, 
you know, how, what do we do another day? And there's there's no agenda except survival and um, and learning. I tried to learn everything I could from the people that I you know, was walking with and sitting next to. And it, it actually turned into a, a really fascinating experience for me where I felt a lot more compassion at the end of those two weeks than I did going into it. And I think it stayed with me. After those two weeks, there's a third week I went back, um, but it was a couple of years later, and I found myself like, I don't want to forget the feeling I had in my heart for, for people that are in trouble. And so I went back for another week without any agenda, without any mission other than let, let's just experience this again. So I've been three weeks on the street, two weeks, right, you know, consecutive, and then one week separate from that. And it helped renew the um, the feeling I had of I care about these people and I, I feel better about myself that I that I have a little bit more compassion for people that are in a really dark place. So I, I may do that again. I don't know. It's not something everybody should do, but um, it's a part of just kind of I fell into it. It's almost accidental how, um, you know, this, this developed for me to do. And now it feels like it's just kind of a part of my life that I feel I've found value in. Well, I, I, I must, I must uh, extend my uh, real, real admiration for you for doing that. I do have a disagreement with you in regards to Kevin sure. Johnson. Okay. I miss, uh, Mr. Johnson, you know, his his abuse of underage girls as a mayor, that 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 is totally disgusting. And so I don't really have too much respect for the former mayor of Sacramento, Kevin Johnson. Mm-hmm. Not too many people may not know that, but I just wanted to put it out there in the, in the air. So anyone who's listening. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, two years ago, almost two years ago, uh, the whole country and the whole world got, um, we first learned about COVID. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that has amazed me is you don't hear about the homeless dying or getting COVID. Mm. How was that experience? I mean, I mean, have you, have you gone back wow. and talked to individuals? Because I know there was an article on U.S. Today, uh, U.S. News, and it said that the homeless people are not dying from COVID. Mm. They live on the street in the conditions that they live, right next to each other. Their immune systems are shot, drug abuse, and you don't hear about the problem of COVID. What's the current yeah, situation? Well, it's something that has has kept me up because, you know, well, you can't stand right next to that person, you know. They're talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have any insights into that. Like, uh, that, that's a mystery. I, I don't know. I don't even have any, I don't have anything to, you know, to offer. I don't really know. That's a oddity, if, you know, if that's, if that's the reality that uh, somehow, homeless people are walking through this whole, you know, pandemic without being impacted. 
That was pretty fascinating. It'd be interesting to know if there's any research into that. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I, I have I, I've read one article on it, so I just mm. wondered maybe if you knew. Now California, yeah. now California has one of the strictest mandates in regards to gathering, right, and everything. How are you seeing the mandates affecting? the homeless in Northern California where you are and, mm-hmm. and overall, overall, because, yeah. you know, there's been a, there's been a huge, there's been a huge exodus of people leaving California because of the oh, crime yeah. in San Francisco, Walgreens and a lot of the pharmacies have closed and they have, because shoplifting it's legal, really legal in, 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 in San Francisco. You can go in there, and if you steal under $900, you don't get arrested. So, you know, the, the, the crime, the homeless in California, people have exodus, and then the mandates. How – and California is such a beautiful state. You know, I, I yeah. went there when I was I, – I went there for the first time when I was like 12, you know, and I thought at one time I wanted to retire in California. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't even live there anymore. Yeah, you know, you, you're, you're painting a picture that is part of our reality. And, you know, it's a place I've lived now most of my life, all of my adult life. And, um, you know, some of the things that are amazing to me about it, like where we are in Sacramento, Northern Cal, we're an hour and a half to Lake Tahoe. Mm-hmm. Lake Tahoe is world-class. People come from all over the world, summer and winter. It's such a beautiful place. The the snow skiing in the winter, we're an hour and a half away. It's like, how do you beat that in, in the beaches or an hour and a half the other way? San Francisco, it's an hour and a half drive from Sacramento. Right. Just below there, Carmel. Carmel is one of my all-time favorite places to go. Uh, Napa Valley and the wine country, it's amazing. And then Southern Cal feels like a whole other state, although it's all connected. You know, it's a six-hour drive to Southern Cal, and the beaches and the beauty, it's, it's wild. So there's so much incredible. You, you said, you know, it seemed like a great place to retire, except – all, all of the other crazy things that are going on with, uh, you know, the political agendas and the, the cost of living is really high here. The taxes are higher here than lots of places. There are people that are looking to move out of California regularly. And um, so, you know, it's such a mixed bag. And I find I've got to, in some ways, train my my focus to try to stay focused on what's good because I, I can mm-hmm. get in, you know, you can talk yourself into depression with some sure. of the stuff yeah. that's, that's wrong and it is wrong. So I think I, I'm just trying to see what, what can I do? I still love this town. It's my home. Um, what can we do to try to still raise the water level of, you know, of peace, raise the level of care, for one another, how can we change the systemic problems of crime? You know, the 
I don't know, all the things that are breaking people down. So that's our mission. You know, that's what we're here to like, well, I'm, I'm going to do what I can. Yeah. Um, I kind of look at it like somebody told me this one time. You see a bunch of starfish on a beach, and they don't survive outside of the water. So there's a guy walking by and picking one up and throwing it back in the ocean, and the guy says, what, what are you doing? You know, there's so much you can't fix this problem. And he's like, well, I just fixed it for that one and picking up another one. And I think that's kind of where I'm at in this journey right now. The problem looks so immense, it's paralyzing. Like, what do you mm-hmm. do? I can't fix this. What, why try? Well, that one, if I can make a difference for that person and they make some strides forward, that's that's changing the world for that one and Definitely. one person at a time. That That's kind of how I'm looking at it and encouraging other people. What, what if we can band together and all of us find one? Then um, you know, maybe we can make a dent on the on the problem. Definitely. Uh, two five four six five four. Do you have a, a question or comment now for Reverend Cole? Um, I, I was raised in a small town, and I never seen homeless until two thousand five when I went to Phoenix, which was unusual because I'm asking questions. Why is that guy laying right there on the sidewalk, and why is he sleeping? Why is he not sleeping in? somewhere besides the sidewalk. And the other thing I can say is, yes, you can help one person at a time, but make sure that that person is worthy enough to help. Because I've helped a homeless, a couple of homeless people, and they end up going and stealing everything you have. So you have to be careful each time you help somebody. That's very, not very, very good, very good, very good advice. Yeah. No, that's good. We we need all perspectives, and that's helpful. We we need to be cautious in the journey as well. It's absolutely a challenge. Not going to be a, a you know a, a easy road or a clean road, but that's that's a good thought. It is true. Now. At Capital Christian Center, that's your uh, the church. Yeah. Uh, you have over three thousand members, staff of fourteen pastors. How has the mandate impacted your congregation and your church? Because I don't know if you're familiar with what happened to a pastor in Canada yeah. who basically defied. The Canadian government, the, no, not the Canadian government, the uh, the local government, mm-hmm. and they threw him in prison because he basically started having his uh, his mass, his church, yeah. to continue to uh, perform without allowing them to. He didn't. He defied their their, their orders. How has the California uh, Governor Newsom and the California legislators, how are they treating the Christian churches? Right. So we have in our county, Sacramento County is where our church is located. They've been pretty strict on the public health orders. So 
we weren't able to meet in in our church services for weeks at a time, months. Honestly, like we went probably a year without having regular in-person gatherings. We went completely digital. We had weekly, um, you know, messages and things like that we provided for our members, but it's all through Zoom. It's through Facebook Live. It's through YouTube. There's different platforms people could stay connected and we did our best to stay in relationship with uh with the members of our church but it was hard like uh you know going that long without gathering now those limits are lifted they've they've lifted the limits on gatherings so we can gather and we have been back in our church but we have you know, a lot of churches are experiencing maybe half of the gathering that they had before COVID. About half wow. the people have come back and half haven't. And so right. it's, a, it's a new world. There's a few churches in California that defied the orders, like the one that you mentioned in Canada. We, yeah. we have some near us in Placer County and, um, you know, some neighboring communities that completely defied the orders and, and met anyway when the government was saying not to so what what i found here is they didn't really have any consequences um there was a couple in couple in southern cal that they you know threatened to fine and then they went to court and the court ruled that uh, they they didn't have to pay those fines in fact there's a couple of them that got some money back um and so they didn't the, the government here, they made strong mandates of, you know, not gathering. But if people defied it, nobody's gone to jail here. Um, you know, there haven't been any serious consequences to not following those orders. So it's it's interesting. You know, it's, um, some have followed. Some look at this as a public health challenge and how can we walk together to try to, you know, protect each other. Others have looked at it like an overreach of the government and, you know, what are they doing telling me what to do? This feels like religious persecution. And so we're all over the map. You know, there's not a, there's not a one size fits all right now for the way um, people have been, you know, handling it. Right. And that's, that's, I mean, we had, we just touched on the whole thing with COVID and the homeless community I'm not sure that that that's something that most governments have not considered at all. Because, yeah. because yeah. I mean, when it comes to the mandates, how how do they apply to the homeless community? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they, they, yeah, they don't. <laughs> they don't. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you wrote two other books, and I and I love the titles of both books. Living a life of love. Can you let us can you tell us and give us a, a, a like a brief summary of that book, Living a Life yeah. of Love? Yeah, I think a lot of times the way that churches are perceived and you know messages that come from from churches can seem kind of condemning and you know a lot of kind of put down of people's life or lifestyles and things like that. And uh, what I find, I think the way I interpret Jesus and what he taught and how he lived was 
how can I help people by loving them and leading with love? And uh, so instead of speaking at people in a condescending way or, you know, any kind of a condemning way, speaking about where we are, Jesus wants to come and help us, you know, grow. He wants to help us find help. And if we can love one another and act with kindness, it feels like kindness has been a elusive, um, you know, principle in our world. There's a, a lot of meanness. There's a, there's a lot of accusation. There's so much division. If we could find civility and kindness in how we treat one another, I feel like the spiritual message of of God, of who he is, what he wants to do, would spread a lot further and help us a lot more. So living a life of love, to me, is you know, how can I look at the people around me if, if, if they don't live like I do or don't agree with what I think, I can still find a way to be kind, to be gracious, to love them, and I want for my part to do what I can to live at peace with people around me as much as it depends on me. I can't right. control what other people do, but I want to walk in, in uh, as much as I can in a spirit of kindness and love toward those around me. But I, I think you you had mentioned it earlier, the country seems to be so polarized, mm. so divided that what you're bringing about everyone coming together, the political system is actually dividing everyone. And I think this whole COVID mandate is even dividing and destroying, not just in the United States, but around the world. It's splitting. It's like we are developing a two-segment society. Yeah. One one for, for the folks that are jabbed and folks that are on jab. It's yeah. two different societies. How do you see that? How, how, how does God, how does uh, see what's happening in, in, today? Yeah. Man, I, I, sometimes I wish I knew. <laughs> like, uh, you know, trying to discern that and understand that. I, I know, like, in the church that I'm the pastor of, we have people on both sides of those equations. You know, we have people that felt fine about getting vaccinated and have, and then we have quite a number who are not for it and don't feel like it's what they should do or they have some aversion to it. And so they have it. And so how, what, how can I somehow wrap my arms around people on both sides of this issue and affirm both, um, not because of any decision on that they've made, but because they each are valuable and special. And can I let go of this divisive issue and and still find a way that we can care for each other? I I find it really complex um, and not not easily done. Some people feel like those who take take a different approach are – negative, you know, have an opinion about the other person. So I don't know. What do you do if you're vaccinated and someone isn't? Then we need to still value that person that's taken a different choice. What if you're unvaccinated and someone else is? Right. We're all, you know, we got people that in the same family. Like families are being divided on this exactly. issue. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. That is, that is so true. It's happening all over, not just in the United States, all over the world. 
Um, so that's that's. I, I love that title. Living a your second book, a roadmap for personal growth and soul design. Mm. That also is. I love that title. Mm, thank you. And there's just some yeah. thoughts in there about what can I do to find a pathway to grow. Um, you know, how can I find certain rhythms where I, I make things available? Like what you've described, it sounds a lot like what I described in the book. You read a lot. If there's a subject that you're going to be talking about, you're researching mm-hmm. it. And so that's yes. growth. You know, that's a roadmap of growth in, in your soul. Like the design of who you are, it gets fed and you grow by that discipline of pursuit. You know, there's other disciplines of, you know, getting rest and and taking care of myself in other ways. So it's like mental health, you know, physical health, spiritual health. What can I do to find a a rhythm in my life to to stay healthy as much as I can? uh, So which of the three books has impacted you the most? Yeah, actually this latest one. I feel like has uh, the greatest impact for me. I think it feels more current in the sense that there's other elements in the book uh, actually address some of the racial injustice issues. You know, the whole situation that we've been through last summer with you know George Floyd being killed and other you know difficult situations of just racial challenges. That's still a prevalent you know, problem in in our world. So I address some of that in the book, even some of the COVID issues I address in the book a bit. And um, I feel like it's kind of a relevant encouragement that with everything going so sideways like it is right now, is there a way that I can find some peace for myself? Mm-hmm. And is there a way that I can add some value to the people around me? Well, Well said. Now, where can we get the book, Incarnate Jesus Among the Broken? Right. So there's a website, incarnatebook.com is one site. So that's good. And then Amazon, it's very accessible there. It can be ordered, you know, just by searching on Amazon for Incarnate Jesus Among the Broken. It'll pop right up. It's in some bookstores around where books are sold, but probably, uh, you know, just uh, technologically – Going to Amazon or to IncarnateBook.com, those are the two best paths. Right. So what's the we'll, – we'll, we'll, we'll uh, promote it on our website. Uh, what is the uh, future what, uh, in regards to Capital Christian Center, the church? Uh, what, yeah. what do you see, what do you see as, as of the last count you had 3,000 members? Uh, 14 pastors. I mean, where do you see the growth, uh, especially with the uh, current economic climate? You know, we have yeah. this whole whole situation in, again in California with the supply chain, you know, mm-hmm. in Long Beach, at the yeah. Long Beach port. Uh, where do you see the economic, the, 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 the number of people that are basically quitting their jobs instead of taking mm-hmm. the jab? Uh, yeah. You know, the potential, hopefully it will not happen, the potential of more homeless people on the streets because of this 
people losing their homes, losing their livelihood. Yeah. Where do you see Capital Christian Church? Yeah. Being an, an influence. I, an influence. Yeah, for sure. I I see just trying to stay the course that we're on and growing it. Uh, currently, we have a, a team of people, a men's group even that. Uh, we have a partnership with the food bank. They're providing 5,000 pounds of food every month, and we do a drive-through grocery giveaway on a Sunday. We'll have like 100 cars drive through our parking lot, and we're just loading uh, groceries into their car as they drive through. We've done that through this whole pandemic. Now, on those days, our men's, our group of men is putting – Bags of groceries, last week they took 400 bags of groceries in pickup trucks, and they went to where there's tents on the sidewalk, there's tents, you know, down right. an alley or under a bridge, and they yeah. go and start talking to the homeless and giving them groceries and just trying again to give some hope and some encouragement and, and catch the heart of, let's at least do something. Like This might not change the world either, but it's more than doing nothing. So our church family here, I think is kind of catching that, that, and that whole project got started just by members of our church that came up with the idea. Why don't we try that? So I think, you know, people will get inspired by what can I do? How can I reach out? And I think that's, we always want to stay tuned in to what the challenges are in our community and, if there's any ideas that come our way of what we can do to help serve, it, we, we have a, a love our campus and everything we do here, but it's not about coming here. It's about how can we go out from here and influence other people to experience something good in their life and grow. So that, that's just our message and our mission. We're going to keep pressing into that. And, you know, respond to whatever ebb and flow. It's been a crazy world. We don't know what's coming next. So we Definitely. just want to stay stay ready. Definitely. Uh, 254654, do you have a, another question or comment for, for, the, for Reverend Cole? Well, I think that homelessness uh, is getting worse than it ever has been. I remember visiting Washington uh, State. And it's really bad there, too. So it's all around. Um, and it takes uh, just a person like you to try and help. And if everybody could step up to the plate and maybe help, mm. right. maybe this homelessness won't be so bad. Very good. Very good comment. Mark, you, uh, any last-minute uh, questions for the Reverend? Okay. Reverend Cole, yeah. it's been a pleasure. Uh, really enjoyed it. And g you gave us an, a great insight, especially to your book, Incarnate Jesus Among the Broken. And thank you for coming. Uh, Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. You inspire me with uh, the interaction. So thank you for that. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. God bless. And, yeah. we'll, and, and we'll stay in touch uh, in regards to uh, coming on the pro. Coming on the program uh, in the future. All right. Good Thank night. You. Next week, next week we have another great guest, just like the Reverend, uh, on 
the Cisco and Fausto Hour Broadcasting Politics. Good night. God bless.